Yeah, so today's reading is John 10, verses 19 to 23. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is the word of the Lord. not on try that thank you Rachel I thought have I got something on my face oh no it's the microphone um let me start again you didn't really need to hear all of that the fact is whatever we're preaching uh from the scriptures if we're preaching what is uh, about Christ if we're preaching uh, a Christian sermon it's always amazing grace um actually that's a, just as an aside that's a good litmus test to use on any sermon you ever hear um if at its heart you don't hear grace then it may be good wise advice or moral instruction but it's not Christian because right at the heart of the Christian faith is grace, God's loving, giving uh, self towards us. And you've heard me say about a million times over the years, actually the whole of the Christian life is simply about response. He loves us, so then we love him and love others. It's all about grace. As I was thinking um, as the week went on about what to um, speak about today, I was drawn to this passage in John 10, um, not uh, John 10. What have we just had read? John 10. Um, and um, I, I was a little bit concerned in case I was going to be stealing post-Easter thunder. And then decided, you know what? It's such a rich passage. You can preach on it again and again and again and again. But it seemed to me that the place that you and I find ourselves today, both as members of all souls, but also members of this country, members of local communities, members of families, of, of, of friendship groups has enough strong parallels with the place that Jesus' friends, the disciples, found themselves that uh, first Easter um, that it's worth hearing again. Because it struck me that one of the things that we have to ask ourselves about the life of all souls, uh, about the things that we love in life, but particularly the things that we love as a church community are the questions that Jesus' disciples were forced to ask that day and into whose questions Jesus comes and stands. You see, for the disciples, they'd spent three years mostly of joy. They'd had three years mostly of joy. I, you know, hardly a, hardly a dull day, that's certainly true, with Jesus, day and night. It's been incredibly exciting. 
Uh, they'd been able to see miracles happen. They'd even been involved in miracles themselves. They'd seen great crowds gathered. They'd seen the hungry fed. They'd seen uh, those who were oppressed set free. Uh, they'd seen uh, the, the authorities sort of have their noses thumbed out. They'd had that sense of God was on the move. And their faith growing. Here was Jesus. Maybe he was the one. Maybe he was the one who was the king to sit on the throne. Maybe he would be the one to kick out the Romans, this oppressive uh, invading force that had invaded their country. Maybe he was the one that would set things right forever. Three years of real joy. And then Jesus dies. And the question is, where is that faith? when those things that have brought us great joy are snatched away. Where is Jesus actually after Easter? I've been pondering a lot um, over the last year, actually, um, with a growing sense, even before the archdeacon's job was coming anywhere near me, of being called away, being called on of what it feels like to lose something you love and to not have those things that bring you joy. And I guess we are in that place today, not because I'm leaving, but actually because of everything that we look at in the next few months, are saying that some of the things that we rely on, we're not going to have for a bit. Some of the gatherings that we've been part of won't happen. Uh, Some of those hugs and embraces won't be possible. There will be days where we're more on our own, or there will be days when we feel just a little bit less connected. There will be days when we have to work that much harder to connect. My question is, for me, for us, where is Jesus in the midst of all of that? What does all of that mean? Whether it's the last 15 years, the last three years, the last year, the last month, all that joy that we have, where is it when some of that stuff is taken away from us? You see, those disciples, that day when they'd locked themselves in the upper room for fear, they must have been standing there thinking, why us? I mean, there were thousands of people that met Jesus during his life. But they must have been thinking, well, why did we choose to follow him so closely? You know, why are we now in fear? You know, all these other people, they've been okay, but why me? Why us? We might be simply thinking to ourselves, well, why do I need to live through this? Why me? Why my parents? Why my kids? Why me? They were looking at a world that felt suddenly rather scary. The religious authorities that hated them, the Roman authorities that hated them, suddenly the world, after three years of feeling pretty stable, pretty good, pretty upbeat, felt a bit of a scary place. And so they literally, physically locked themselves away inside their room. They isolated themselves out of fear. And this beautiful moment where the Jesus who is alive steps into their place of fear. It doesn't just send them a message. It doesn't come actually even as a sort of flaming vision of glory. He comes with nail marks in his wrists and a hole in his side. He comes physically and steps into their place of fear, and he's with them. And he says to them, peace be with you. 
In good preacher fashion, there are three things on my mind. I hope you'll forgive me, but maybe they help us to remember. The first is that the one whom we worship, the one who we meet in Jesus, is the one who steps into the midst of our lives not as some otherworldly superman-type figure, but as the one with nail marks in his wrists and a hole in his side. Uniquely amongst all faiths and worldviews, we worship a God who suffers, who has suffered in Jesus, who does suffer with his people, a one, the one who is not sort of just beyond us, whom one day we look forward to seeing, but the one who is with us. Whether we're in a period of isolation at home, whether we feel just a bit, little bit less connected at church, whether we simply feel afraid, this is the God who in Jesus has felt as we feel, who stands in the midst of our fear, not outside it, yelling good advice. That is hugely important. That is the Christian hope. Christians don't just preach a pie in the sky when you die. Don't worry, it'll all be all right. We'll get to heaven one day. Though we do look forward to the day when we get to be with him. Nor do Christians just preach a God who occasionally zaps people with miracles, who appears occasionally in supernatural power to do wonderful things, though he does that too. The hope that we preach and that we know is the one who in Christ suffers with us and for us and who in Jesus comes and is with us now. But he's also the one who speaks those words, peace be with you. In a sense, I've stolen my own thunder at the beginning of the service because I wanted the children to hear this too, but it's a really good set of picture language to use with children and with adults alike. And it's as thoroughly biblical as it gets because it stretches from Genesis to Revelation. This Hebrew idea of shalom, of peace. This idea of God in Jesus throwing his arms around a broken world. A God who doesn't isolate, but who hugs. A God who doesn't just look at the broken pieces and go, better luck next time. But a God who steps into the world in Jesus and brings wholeness and healing and restoration that is the Christian hope. A God who isn't just with us in our suffering, a God who is with us to bring peace and wholeness. He wraps his arms around the world to bring that sense of hope and restoration. Now, we've seen that down through 2,000 years. In fact, in the Hebrew Scriptures, we've done it, seen it down through 3,500 years of God and his people bringing hope and change and wholeness. When we look at a world on our TV screens, on our, on our apps and tablets, where we have a sense of brokenness, we need to keep remembering that shalom, that peace. Because God promises that is his purpose for the world. It isn't some sort of pipe dream. is isn't, isn't some sort of utopian ideal that we'll never achieve. It's actually God's purpose and plan for the world. And one day, Jesus is going to return. He's going to draw a line under history and say, that's it. We're done. All will be made whole. All will be made healed. But as we pray the Lord's Prayer, it's a good prayer to keep praying. Actually, it's about 20 seconds long. So if you want something that won't um, drive you up the wall quite as badly as singing happy birthday to yourself twice, the Lord's Prayer is about the right length. Just a little piece of advice for you. It, 
It's not somehow magic that as you do it, it works better. It's just a good length, and it keeps you praying. But as you pray, the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, actually is a prayer for shalom, a taste of the life that is to come, a taste of the peace that God promises, a taste of that wholeness. We see glimpses of it, don't we, in every disaster in human history. I mean, I think we heard beautiful um, uh, sort of glimpses of it. I can't think of the right aural word for a glimpse. You, you catch a snatch of it in that singing in the streets in Italy. You know, human beings together saying, actually, there is a hope and a wholeness and a healing and a restoration. And we as Christians believe that's God's stuff. That's what he does. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. That's probably the only thing you're going to remember from today, isn't it? The Lord's Prayer. Where's he rushing? It's fine. Do that anyway. It's a good thing to remember. But here's the third thing. You know, as we recognize that this is the God who comes and steps into our place of feeling broken or alone or isolated, and as we recognize that he's the God who comes to bring peace, wholeness, shalom, to throw his arms around a broken world, we also recognize that he doesn't just come to me. He doesn't even just come to us. He didn't just come to the disciples. You recognize what he said. He said, peace be with you. He shows them his hands and his side just to remind them what he's done for them. He gives them joy. And then he says, peace be with you, again, as the Father has sent me, I I'm sending you. And he doesn't just send them on their own. Verse 22, I love the irony of what he does given our current situation. He breathes on them. I love it. Just remember that. Jesus breathes on you. He breathes on you with the gift of his spirit. Every day, whoever you are, even if your faith feels as tentative as the most tentative thing, even if you feel that you are somebody who is, is sort of almost here as a, an interloper, somebody looking in from the outside, the, the amount of faith is not the point. You can have the faith, the tiniest faith of a must, uh, the size of a mustard seed, says Jesus. But Jesus comes to you in your locked room. He stands there, shows you his arms, his hands, and his feet, he says, look what I've done for you. Look how I'm with you. And then he breathes on you with the gift of his spirit. But not just for you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And then these odd words at the end, but I think they're actually very powerful. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. What he's simply saying is, if not you, then who? If you aren't bringing this peace, this wholeness, this healing, then who? If the church, and I don't mean just all souls, but if the Christian church around the world is not stepping up at this moment in human history and saying, as the Father sent Jesus, so he sends us in the power of his spirit to bring healing and hope, then who? We need to be at the front of the queue, not the back. We need to be out there, not just in here. For those of us who are able, at any point in the coming months, where we are able to be on the front foot, showing love, showing generosity, showing thoughtfulness, showing community, then it should be us. Because this is our hope. We didn't come to faith simply to belong to a lovely church like All Souls. 
actually, we came to faith because we believe that in Jesus, God came to us first. We believe that in Jesus, God came to us in order to send us out in the power of his spirit to live and work to his praise and glory. Jesus says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And then he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Go and do it. See, it seems to me that in the next few months, the true value, the true strength, the true core of all souls is going to be shown out there, isn't it? Yeah, in here. You know, as far as I know, Sundays will continue. And to be honest, even if services stopped at some point for a few weeks, I suspect we'll keep the building open. This will be a place of of sanctuary and prayer just as it was through two world wars and pandemics in the past. It's one of the lovely things about being in a building that stood for a very long time. You go, we're not the first. We won't be the last. But the core is the value of all souls, the strength of it, what God has done here will be shown out there in our streets, in our neighborhoods, with our next door neighbors, with somebody who lives down the street who's going to be isolated, with somebody who lives on the 20th floor of a tower block. That's where it's going to be shown. It's going to be shown in how we care for one another. It's going to be shown in our generosity to our neighbors. It's going to be shown in our truth-telling, in our grace-giving, in our prayerfulness. It's going to be shown in our holding out the God of hope who we meet in Jesus. See, those early disciples will have felt utterly powerless in the face of this enormous threat which was the Roman Empire. I mean, to them, it was just beyond imagining that they could have any power or influence in the face of that threat. But Jesus has nothing of it. Jesus stands in the midst of their fear and says, peace be with you. We are God's hope for this world. And in the midst of all that fear and anxiety and uncertainty, there should also be that sense of challenge and almost excitement. This is the time when our faith will need to be seen. And that's how God uses us. So how do we do that? Well, it's all the stuff that everybody should be doing. It's going the extra mile to make sure that we don't spread what we may have, but may not be affecting us those odd social niceties of elbow nudges and foot presses or bowing or whatever it is going to be, that I have to say my hands are absolutely red raw with hand washing. The the willingness to step aside for a week if we're unwell. We care for one another in resisting the temptation to follow the herd and panic by. We care for others by being generous to food banks, with volunteering, with our time. We care for others by asking the question, who near me in my road, in my neighborhood, might need some shopping, a phone call, a conversation, albeit at a little distance, on the front step? By also saying, what can I pray? Who can I pray for? There's going to be lots of practical ways we can do it. I know that churches around the country and All Souls is absolutely no exception to this. 
are already thinking, right, how do we make sure that we help organize and work with local residents associations and work with, work with local community groups and make sure that every community in every part of the country cares for one another. We will absolutely be at the forefront of that. But we do it knowing that this is the God who in Jesus doesn't stand a long way off and say, I love you, but comes and stands in our locked room of fear. He comes and shows us his hands and his feet. And he says, look what I've already done for you. He breathes on us. He wraps his arms around us. He gives us the gift of his spirit. And he gives us his hope. And he sends us out to make a difference. To be the hope for the world. To care for our communities. To care for those who need to know that they're not lost or alone. We're going to pray, and then we're going to share communion. But I guess one of the things that I want to say is that we need to spread the message to one another and to those that can't be here today that there is no way that we are going to allow any individual or households at any point to feel forgotten or isolated or alone. There is no way that we are going to allow the incredible power and gift that the 250 adults and similar number of children that count this as their home church can be out in our local communities. There's no way we're going to allow that to be anything other than an incredibly powerful force for good. And most of all, there is no way that we're going to forget that at the heart of it all is this amazing grace. The God who steps towards us, who wraps his arms around us, who breathes on us by his spirit and send us out to live for him. So I'm going to just lead us in a brief time of prayer. You're welcome to keep your eyes open. You can look at the cross above me, the cross behind me, a candle, or you can close your eyes if you prefer. And let me lead us in prayer. Let me just begin by creating a little bit of space for all of us who might be feeling or have felt at any point anxiety and fear. One of the sets of picture language you can use when you're feeling like that and that you can help your children to use is how fear makes us feel like we are locked in, isolated, alone. We sort of close down and turn inwards. And this picture language of the locked room and allowing Jesus to step inside that place of fear. He doesn't say to us, come on, buck up. Stop being silly. He steps right into the place of fear. He wraps his arms around us. He breathes on us and says, peace be with you. Breathe in as Jesus breathes on you. Breathe on that healthy, life-giving air from his nostrils. Breathe in the gift of his spirit. Even if you've never done it before, you're not being a hypocrite. You're simply being real. 
We need God's Spirit to fill us afresh. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your people. Not one of us wants to miss out. Every one of us needs you to fill us afresh with hope and with courage and with the joy of being loved by you. Breathe on us, Spirit of God. And as God breathes his spirit on us, we each of us, if we're willing, commit ourselves to be his arms and legs in this world, bringing hope and company and care and generosity to those around us. Being that peace, that shalom, that wholeness for a world that feels broken, Heavenly Father, thank you that in Jesus you step towards us, not away from us. That in Jesus you throw your arms around us. That in Jesus you breathe in us by your Spirit. Come, we pray. As you kindle in us the fire of your love, give us hope, give us joy, give us confidence and generous hearts that as you've given to us, we will give to others, to a world in need. In Jesus' name, amen.